Say it with yawn. We'll cut that out. We'll cut that out of the interview, me yawning. Absolutely. <laughs> Holy guacamole. Oh, wait. Okay, wait. I was going to start the podcast saying hi, holy guacamole. But that reminded me that I want to remember this story that happened this weekend. So I'm just going to tell all of you. Uh, Margot and I, my daughter Margot, were gardening. And I showed her the bug that we call a roly-poly. And I know other people call them different things. It's probably a regional thing. Um, but we let them crawl on our hands and we had a little talk about them. And for the rest of the time on Saturday, she kept calling them holy moly's. And it was so sweet and so funny. And I just couldn't even correct her. And I just love her so much. Spring is here. The garden is full of holy moly's. Welcome to Everything's Relative Podcast. I'm Eve Sturgis, not really here to discuss garden bugs so much as to talk about DNA surprises. Also, my son Dallas is here today because he is homesick. Dallas, do you want to say hi? Yeah. Hi, my name is Dallas. I'm seven years old. I was born in 2015. My birthday is October 5th. I play baseball and yeah, that's about it. That's about it, folks. We're here to talk about DNA surprises. The DNA surprises that make your head spin, uh, your entire identity dissolve away in a single moment. This is where we talk about what it feels like or what happens when a person finds out that one or more parents isn't actually biologically related to them. Uh, They were discovered things like they were donor conceived uh, or that no one ever told them they were adopted. These are the top three variations. Um, We all know, or if you've been around here long enough, nothing surprises us here anymore. So hang around for more ways that the DNA DNA tests reveal unknown heritage, unknown genealogy, unknown, unknown DNA. That's what tests reveal is DNA. So here's something funny about this episode. And I'm already ready for that one reviewer who hates me. Uh, to let out a huge sigh of disappointment. (sighs) Here we go again. I made another mistake, this time with scheduling. Well, I probably made more than one mistake. I don't even know how many goofs I made. How's that? How's that for an annoying host? But here is what happened. I misunderstood the book club schedule for Hyreth Hope and Healing, and I thought this episode was going to line up perfectly with their reading of Emma Stevens' book, The Gathering Place. So Emma Stevens is my guest on today's episode. But then as we're talking, it's very clear, I was very incorrect about the schedule and the book club is almost done with her book when we're talking. And that was weeks ago. So now it's totally done. (laughs) But the whole point was to make sure people know there are other resources and way to join community like the book club over at Hyreth Hope and Healing. Anyway, if you listened to the last episode with Fred Nicora, and now you're listening to this week with Emma Stevens, you also might think this is a podcast only about people who write books. Nope. It's just a coincidence. I just love to feature people. I want everyone to feel comfortable to contact me if they want to tell me their DNA discovery story, whether you have a book or not. Emma does have a book. She has two books. 
Listen, we're going to talk about it. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, thank you for meeting with me. Thanks for being flexible. Oh, you bet. Have you recovered yet from the conference week? I think I'm like coming around the bend. Like I am, but I am wiped. Yeah, I think we're all ready for another weekend to just recover. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's been hard. And I, I do. A, yeah, it's just and I just have to keep I just have to keep finding faith or having faith that I will find the energy to get everything done again. Yes. Eventually. <laughs> I know. So is that where you are? You're in Tulsa? I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Wow. Um, how long have you lived there? Um, I've pretty much grew up here. Mm-hmm. And and then in my 20s, I moved to California right. for about 20 years. And um, at that point was dealing with a divorce. And it made sense to come back to Tulsa where uh, my family support was. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've been here with my kids ever since. And my adult children still live here too. Oh, cool. Yeah. So they're all, so they're all with you or in Tulsa. Pretty, pretty much. Yeah, mm-hmm. they are. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, yeah, I had thought you were a Californian. Just um Well, the book, both books are based in California. That's what I thought. So I just extrapolated that you just must always have always lived in California. Yeah. So um let's so here's why I mean I'm excited for lots of reasons, but I'm excited to talk to you because Hyreth Hope and Healing yes. is starting their club of doing the gathering place have they started it i, I believe it's already started and okay. then i'll be speaking of the q a because it'll be completed i guess yeah and i think that's monday night this coming monday oh great okay so they're well into it okay yeah so um, they've been through like a month and a half or so mm-hmm. they started uh-huh. oh great okay so all right. So I so I wanted to plug that that and I wanted to make sure everybody knows that higher hope and healing does book clubs um, that are much more, um, they're like a week by week, more attentive focus on the reading of the book than my, than my gatherings, which I just call book club zoom parties. Uh-huh. Which I just invite everybody like read. I just invite everybody to read the book and then we'll meet once uh-huh. to talk about it. So high Earth, hope and healing got a gathering place. So that's what I want to talk with you about today. Okay. And then but we're also going to talk a little bit about a fire is coming, right? Is that what it's called? Okay. Um, That's what it's called. Yes. Okay. Phew. <laughs> I was like, oh no, what if you, you nailed like, it? You're like, what? Why would we talk about that? That I don't know is. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that because that's the one that I'll do a book club Zoom party for and have you come. And I don't want you to talk too much about it because I would rather save it for the QA. Sure. At the, Absolutely. At the party. But it's um we I don't often get somebody with two books. That, that fit into our like DNA discovery world. Uh, so, so it's exciting to have you kind of um, have these two different parts of your life in, in two different books. Um, 
So why don't, so, well, before I even get to that question, did you always know you were adopted? I did. I okay. did. Since, you know, first memory, I can mm -hmm. remember being told. Okay. So you, yeah. So you always knew. So, so tell me what, um, what transpired that made it a, a discovery, a DNA discovery that led to a book? Well, okay, that would jump that's a little a big, bit into the book. A, yeah, but there that's was, a big, that was a big question. We can, it, we can, and it was we a can big, back it up. It, it was a DNA, DNA surprise that lasted over probably a span of 30 years. Oh, wow. Because I obtained my original birth certificate and on it was the, the name of my birth father. And so I went and called him and met him. But he denied it. He said, I'm not your birth father. I only helped out your birth mother by placing my name on your birth certificate. And so we talked for maybe an hour. And I always felt sort of a connection. I saw some similarities of features. But he said he wasn't. So I'm like, okay, I'm 24. You know, I wasn't going to say, oh, yes, you are. And so then the DNA surprise happens 30 years later when my daughter takes her DNA tests. And she said, Mom, I think you should look at this because there's a lot of relatives on here. I have no idea who they are. And so that point, I take a DNA test. And, you know, it could have been her father's relatives, but it wasn't it was connected to me. And as I start weeding through all the information, I go to Facebook, I become this big sleuth again, because in order to find him and my birth mother, I had to be this major sleuth. Um, and that was the only way that I started connecting things on Facebook of communication of names of kind of piecing together a family tree. And then I found this common denominator of a person that seemed to know all the people that were close DNA relatives as listed on my report. And she confirmed it that the name I gave her of my birth father, she said, oh, yes, he he, would, he was definitely in our family. He had passed by that time. So I didn't get to meet him for a second time. <laughs> right. And but say, it dude, yeah. what's up? Why did you, why did you say that? Um, Interesting. Okay, so he really turned out to be your father. And when your yes. when your when your daughter said to you, like, let's take a look at this, my results, <clears throat> she knew you were adopted. That's always been a part of your story. So yes. did she say, like, did she know that, that that would lead to more discovery? Or did it did something not did the react did the names seem off to her? Or did she say, Hey, because you're adopted, let's look at this? She's always, she knows her mother very well. Mm -hmm. And she was a little apprehensive to tell me because she knew I would go into fast motion of, you know, jumping right into the middle of everything, trying to figure it all out. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, she knew with this list of all these people that she had no idea who they were. And they were close. I mean, they were like first cousin. And um, I think that was the closest match was first cousin. But yet there were a lot of them. It was mm -hmm. a Catholic family and there were a lot of them. And so she knew she couldn't keep that to herself. But she was a little apprehensive because what she feared is exactly what I did. I went into fast scale motion 
and um, found all these people. And actually, I'm going next week to California for another layer of reunion with um, DNA family uh, that I have not met yet. I've met quite a few, but I'm going to mm-hmm. meet more. And, these and are- they're all on my paternal side. Wow. Okay. Of the, because of the father, the birth father that said he was not my father, but truly was. And now I'm getting to meet that whole side of the family. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're meeting them um, 30 years later than you could have met them if he had n- admitted or known he was your bio father? Or do you just look forward and not backwards? Well, I can't lie, Eve. I've thought of that many times because I click so well with a lot of these people that it makes me sad that I could have known them for 30 years and we would have been in our, you know, 20s and and it's just lost time. But then I think birth father had some reason for doing what he did. And I'll never know what that is. And I have two choices. I have a choice of, you know, just living in um, thinking negative thoughts or I have a choice to think it happened for a reason and I'm getting to meet them now and um, just moving forward, really. I don't want to get stuck in the past of why do you do that or, you know, blame and shame and all that. I, I don't want any part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that sounds like how one might ideally handle it. I don't I don't know what you would do, but there there's a part of me for you that sort of is shaking, yeah. my, fi- shaking my fist at him. Like, come yeah. on. Like all these- oh, well, and Eve, it, it's so terrific because some of my cousins have said, you know, your your father was a nice man, but we're really mad that he did this. Mm. And it was it was really wrong of him to do this to you. And I can't tell you what that meant to me. So validating. Yeah. Arms open wide to me. They didn't question, what do you want? Why are you here? Um, prove it, <laughs> you know, anything like that. So maybe it'd be a different scenario if they had been any different to me, but they've just been so welcoming from the get-go. Your family. I'm like, okay. <laughs> How nice. That's, yeah. That is lovely. It's lovely when people are nice and yes. open-hearted and open-minded and Yeah, because I've had a little bit of both in reunion. I've had, well, the father looking me in the eye, hugging me, Mm. saying, I'm not your father. You're a nice person, but I'm not your father. He hugged me knowing full well. But then even my birth mother, it was uh, a reunion that only lasted maybe two, three years because um, neither one of us had a map of how to navigate having a relationship And I feel like she was stuck in the 60s from when she had to relinquish me Mm -hmm. and really never got any better. Mm -hmm. And it had just followed over her head all that time. And I could never really get to know her or have a relationship. It just didn't work. So it fizzled out. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. So you have had sort of both sides, both sides Mm -hmm. of the the reunion possibilities. There are sides in between. But um. Yeah, I find that, and we talk about this, you know, as in in therapy or as therapists, that sometimes trauma or a large event, whether it's defined as trauma or not, can sort of lock people's brain development right there and then, and that's that's as far as it goes. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, like from my personal experience, I totally relate to that um, that feeling of witnessing an adult act 
stuck. I don't know how to say like I'm trying to say it without saying too much about my own personal experience, but suddenly uh like my parent basically like when I confronted my parents, they just it was just like they just suddenly transformed into 1980 again. Yeah. And, be, and being Definitely. in their being in their 20s, the way they were handling it. And I had always they had they would I wouldn't say they handled their whole life like they were in their 20s. This was totally new behavior to me. <laughs> yeah. But thrust them back into some into that time and that that place developmentally for sure. Um, yeah. And I think the more that you and I are in our community, mm -hmm. we're starting to understand and have compassion and empathy for what that may look like and how you know, my first reaction to birth mother was, why is she being so difficult? Why is she not remembering what she should remember? When actually just it could be what you just said is she honestly doesn't remember and she's frozen in time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a place um, I can I can I can take my imagination pretty far, but I but I can't. There are still some shoes I can never truly feel like what they are to walk in. And mm -hmm. um, relinquishment is one of those that I think, yeah, I just can't, I can't fathom all the, all the layers um, or lack thereof. I can't, I can't, it's just yeah. all of it, all the possibilities really yeah. overwhelm me. Um, but yeah, I can see that, that being frustrating. Sure. First. So how old were you when you connected with your birth mother? I was 24. Okay, so around the same time that you found your birth certificate. Actually, yes, I actually found birth father first, mm -hmm. asked him to please tell me what her name was. He said, I don't remember. <laughs> and then I I did actually find her and he, she wouldn't give his name up either or tell me anything about him. But I, it was, I met him first, then I met her. And how was that experience um, for, for your adopted family? Oh, oh, now you've gone and done okay. it, Eve. <laughs> well, um, I guess I'm a creature that lives on the down low when it comes to adoption. And um, they don't know about what I'm doing now, the books I've written, um, the extremes that I've gone to to find out where I'm from and to be my true self. And it was always incomplete. If I did that, it would be uh, saying that I hate them and that I'm, you know, I don't support what they've done for me. And the whole topic of adoption was taboo all my life. So I knew I had to do it in secret. Now, there was a point where when I was 24, I had an aunt that ratted me out and betrayed a confidence and told my parents that I had found both my birth parents and they didn't, my parents didn't talk to me for about three years and did the whole withholding thing and the you're out of the will and all of that. And then when I had a baby of my own, they couldn't resist. So we made up and we have not talked about it since. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, back it up. Because we didn't talk about any of this. We sort of jumped in at a funny spot. Um, yeah. Okay, so your experience as an adopted person was to have always known. And um, and what was it like growing up? You I could never, could never speak of it. 
Okay. I, I was purchased, I truly believe, to play a role. And if I were to go outside of that role, then I would be um, severely reprimanded. And that was my adaptation that I learned how to survive in my childhood home to be myself was sinful. And, mm. and I had to be who they wanted me to be. And all that time during my youth, I kept saying, oh, just wait until you get out of the household and then you can be who you are. <laughs> well, as we all know, that takes a lot of peeling of the onion. Once you finally are on your own, you can't just go like that and boom, I'm my true self. I'd forgotten who I was. So it took me that's why I say in my bio, I've been through multiple journeys to be on the journey that I'm on now, because adoption has colored my life in a number of ways of what all that all that childhood trauma did to me, the relinquishment trauma, the adoption trauma, and living with dysfunctional parents. So are you in touch with them now? My mother passed last summer, and um, yes, I was very much in touch with my family, and my father is teetering at the moment right now of passing, And um, but even to this day, <laughs> he, he still feels like I'm there to prop him up. Emma, <laughs> why aren't you there all the time? Why don't you live with me? Why are you off doing your own life? You're not supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to be helping me. And so it just helps me see that that's all he's ever thought my life amounted to was mm -hmm. to prop him up and entertain him, you know, to be some kind of commodity that they purchased for a certain reason. And if I go outside that role, they show me very much that they don't like that. So you're really living like a double identity. Yes. <laughs> or a double life. Like I'm not maybe a double li identity. Yes. Yeah. But a double life. It is truly a life. Wow. So I didn't know that. That's amazing. Um, that must be hard. Or are you settled into it and you've gotten very good at it? Um, I'm in the process of integrating mm -hmm. because of my father coming close to passing. Um, I'm able to start thinking about merging my personas. And I'll just say, and I say this in my book, the, A Fire is Coming, that I've used a pseudonym. Mm -hmm. And I did that because I, I didn't want to wait to have my voice until everyone died. Right. I needed to start living right now. And I feel very passionate about that. And but I'm getting closer to where I'm, you know, I've showed up at the conference looking like me, mm -hmm. but having a different name. And so I think it's it's just going to start. And that feels good to me because I want to be mm -hmm. whole so much. I've been working towards that all my life all your life i mean you already said life. you already said as a child remembering remembering being a child and looking yeah. forward to moving out so you could be yourself right that's fascinating to me that you had the concept of of being yourself or not being yourself as a child or as a youth i'm not sure i i'm not sure i i i i did i don't know i to me it just it just sounds very insightful and maybe maybe it speaks to the um, either like the severity of the situation you were in, or um, I think perhaps that's a that's a commonality among more adoptees. The more I get to know them, the feeling of out of place and not being able to be themselves. And 
Well, I think I had a preoccupation about it because, and it also made me, you know, unable to pay attention to the things of being a child and mm-hmm. being in school because I was so distracted of only thinking about the abuse of my home life. Oh. And, and so I think that's why I got so reflective because I, it was just front and center. It was survival time, hyper vigilance to just survive. And so maybe that's why I had a better uh, look at it is because it was right there all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Would you have articulated it that way that you couldn't, you didn't feel like you could be yourself or did you no. just think when I, I'm out of here, when I'm done, I'm out, I'm out of here. Yeah. Well, the thoughts in my head were, were one of them was, this is really wrong. What's going on in this household is not right. And then, um, and then the other one was, when I get old enough, I'm going to be out of here and I'm going to live my own life. And I just remember having those thoughts very clearly mm-hmm. for a long time throughout my childhood. Yeah. Yeah. I looked forward to gr- to growing up and getting out too. I, I looked forward to that in a way that I thought everybody did, but I'm learning that not everybody yeah. has that. Some people are quite happy in their, in their families and <laughs> at yeah. whatever, whatever age they're, they are. Yeah. Um, that's, that's not universal. That's interesting. So tell me about writing your book, A Gathering Place. Well, it was life-giving for me. I had to write that book. And um, I can't be uh, more encouraging for everyone to write their story, whether they publish it or not. That's really not the purpose. It's the therapeutic thing of getting it out on paper And even if it's just put in a drawer or your family legacy to have it down on paper, it's so important. I feel like we all have a story. Uh, Mine happens to be colorful because of the extremes I went through to obtain my original birth certificate was something that because of my childhood and being so adamant about finding my birth parents, I stole my birth records from the adoption agency. And that didn't even seem to me like stealing because I felt like it was mine to have. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm still I'm I'm happy I didn't get caught, but at the same time, it was just invaluable for me as a person, as a human being, as a spirit on earth, that I had to have that to be able to move forward. And there was a lot more to come after that part, but um that first step of finding my roots and kind of proving I was born and I didn't fall from the sky. Uh, was really important to me. Oh, I love that way of describing it in understanding the importance of these birth records to prove that yeah. I was born. I mean, I just got chills. It's sort of, it's beautiful and it's sweet and it's incredibly sad and infuriating all at the same time to me to hear you say that, to think of of people need, needing that and wanting that and struggling to to get that. Right. And I think when we get our uh, original birth certificate and we look at whatever name they gave us, mine was fictitious, (laughs) but there was a time we were born and there was information on this birth certificate. And I think we all just kind of put our glasses on and just study it like it's just gold. Mm -hmm. And I think that is speaking to exactly what you were just saying of we have to we've, we've just proven that we were born. The obvious, obviously we were born, but we still needed that convincing. 
So what I what I did in the gathering place was I wanted to get out how one thing led to another, and it was all connected from in utero on throughout with relinquishment, adoption, and how everything was just a no-brainer that, of course, I did this, and of course, that happened, and then on and on. I was doing a very normal thing in an abnormal situation. So it's a memoir, uh-huh. and it it traces um, the discovery of the birth certificate into reunion. Is that sort of the yes. timeline that we're talking about? I, I actually stretch it out until present day, I believe. Um, but it goes through childhood and it goes through um, things that happened that I feel like was a direct result from being adopted and relinquished. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end, where I've kind of described all this, most of the multiple journeys I've been on, I do my reconciliation, which is, you know, if anything, I hope people wait till the end of the book because it's not just talking about sadness, sorrow, grief, trauma. It's <laughs> like, boom, I finally get it. I finally have reconciled um, a positive outcome of what I what I want to tell you my story is, not what anybody else tells me what my story is. And that's how I like to end it, because it was just really revelational and um, enlightening to me to finally be in that spot after so much confusion all my life that there were certain things that came into place that helped me get on this even brighter path. Yeah. There's power, power in owning our narrative. Strength in, 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 in owning our narrative. Yes. When you decided to write it, what was your goal? therapeutically for myself. And then I wanted to touch anyone else that I could, that they hadn't had some of the concepts or the revelations I had. And maybe by just reading it, that they would say, wow, that's not too far from my own story, or I can see my own life through that. And I've gotten messages from all over of people saying that it did that for them. And I can't tell you what joy I have, because so many people help me you know, just all the people I've followed and I've listened and researched and to put things into place. My um, my whole psyche feels soothed now because it just it's starting to make sense. And if I could help anyone else get a piece of that, then boom, that's great. One thing that surprised me that I, I heard just a, a little bit of about the Untangling Our Roots summit that you and I both just attended um, is I heard just a whisper of this. So, so take it with a a grain of eavesdropping, but that some people who might be a a donor conceived person, like a DC, DC, I'm not a DCP, but I'm holding my hand on my chest, a DCP or a NPE might have seen something that was going to be hosted or led by an adoptee and think, Oh, that well, that doesn't relate to me, or vice versa. That an adopt, you know, an adoptee might have seen an NPE panel, something about, mm-hmm. and thought that's that's not going to relate to me. So, um, so when you when you know thinking of it that way, do you feel like your book um, is for adoptees and everyone? 
which I would imagine it is. <laughs> but um, what do you think about the sort of overlaps for people that are looking at your book? I think there's definite overlap. And I say that because I've had people tell me that while it's not the same scenario that you told, I was, you triggered memories within my own life that I could filter my own life through your story. And I think that's what a good storyteller does for the reader is that you don't have to have the exact um, story, but, you know, maybe what I'm trying to say is if you use songs or you use some global event that's happening at the same time, uh, everyone has experienced, or at least they've heard about it. Um, you draw everyone into your story and it becomes not just your memoir. It talks, it talks about things that people remember a song and they attach a memory and then they have a feeling or emotion. And so then you've got everyone with you on your story and it, it can be, you know, any kind of background, but yet they can, um, it resonates. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's, 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 that's really beautiful. And that's how I, that's how I imagine it. And that's how I feel about, and I don't know if I just, um, maybe because I, I met higher hope and healing people, um, so early into my journey and they include adoptees in their community. Um, but, it never occurred to me that that one group might not have something <laughs> to learn from the other group. Like to me, the overlap has always seemed really apparent. And especially that adoptees have been paving the way of this identity journey for years, You light years ahead of us, um, us, us NPEs. Um, so so I'm so glad to to do the same, to start to include adoptees, to bring in everybody in the community. Like, let's talk about all of this. Yeah, um, this is a. Maybe it's an NPE podcast or a, or a DNA discovery podcast, but, but, um, well, I think we're going to be so much stronger all together mm -hmm. than any division that might happen. And I hope we can all just stay this cohesive unit because we're going to be powerful and it's going to be so hard to ignore the whole message because we do share so many commonalities that you just can't ignore that we do have a lot of similarities. I think more similarities than, than not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that, that, and, and I, and maybe some of those similarities are um, existential concepts. And so it's hard to, to pin it down when, when right. just on paper, when yes. talking about people's experiences, but or the, the, the nuts and bolts of each of our experiences. Well, for example, I read um, Fred's book, and I can't remember his last name. Nakora. Mm -hmm. Nakora. Okay. Yeah. Well, I read that book, and I could see my own life through his. Mm -hmm. And he's a late discovery, um, or is he not? Is he? He is. He's late discovery adoptee. Late discovery. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the, even though I've known since I was three, that really didn't matter. He mm -hmm. was describing concepts and feelings and emotions that I very much identify with. So he had me on his story from the get go. Right. And he told me the same about my book because he's read mine too. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <clears throat> there you go, folks. <laughs> um, <laughs> we just proved it right here. <laughs> we did it <laughs> right now. You heard it first. Um, wonderful. And 
So now you and I, when, so Higher Than Open Healing is doing, they're wrapping up their book club about a gathering place right now. Yeah. And you and I are going to choose a date to have a book club Zoom party about your other book um, called A Fire is Coming. And can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, certainly it is about how as a adoptee land or even just all inclusive, we tell people before you go out on your search, before you um, dive too deep in things, you should probably think about counseling because coming out of the fog, whatever that might mean to you, is difficult. And it's really about doing your interior work. And if you don't, you could be opening yourself up to, um, you know, getting even a in a worse place of psychological or emotional behavior. And so since we do tell people to go to counseling, we also need to say, you can interview your counselor, therapist, doctor, whoever has a power deferential over you, you have the choice and the uh, ability to interview them and make sure that they line up with what you're looking for and how, you know, make sure what their biases are, or um, yes, they say they're adoption competent. Well, what does that mean to them? So you have to make sure that you're in a safe place. And uh, my book talks about my own situation experience where um, it reads kind of like a psychological thriller because it's a real case scenario of how I I met a psychologist that was a sociopathic, one-on-one cultic, um, abusive therapist. And if I could save, again, if I could save just one person <laughs> from making the same mistake I did and getting a little more researched and education about what the therapeutic process looks like, then I've done my job. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. It just takes one person. One of the reasons I, I was excited about that book is one, because I'm a therapist and yes, we do, we need to talk about all the ways that you want, one is allowed to, um, to find a therapist that's the right fit. And, but, but I also was excited to read a book that is, um, this is like a little bit different than the, than the other books we've read. Um, and then, then ever, we sort of have this library of memoirs coming out. Right. Um, and this book is about, it seems to me to be, it's about how adoption influenced a situation. Um, but it's not your story from beginning to end of adoption, um, adoption and, and reunion or adoption and discovery. That's a gathering place. That's the other book. Right. And this book is about this specific situation, um, so I was excited. I'm excited to 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 leap into a different, a little bit of a different category while still honoring the space and um, making sure it's a part of our community. But you and I will decide on a date for that um, for our book club Zoom party. But I'm I'm excited to read that one. Yeah, I'll look forward to that Zoom party. That'll be because uh, I use a lot of symbolism in my writing mm-hmm. and even in the gathering place. It's um, very symbolic. And I even the pseudonym that I came up with is it ties into the story. And A Fire is Coming is really about an actual fire that the the book starts off with. And then how I get sucked into a vortex of a person that's the fire. Mm -hmm. And so that was my method of weaving the story for this current one. So compelling. 
I mean, I, yeah, it's a great title, especially Thank maybe, for, and I live in Los Angeles. And so I know, I know about these fires, um, in a, in a, a sort of local and personal way. So to me, I was also very intrigued about, about we, the way you, you weave that in. So I'm excited. Good. <laughs> You'll have to tell me what you think about it at the zoom party. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> um, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wished I had or anything that you'd like to say um, during these opportunities? Hmm. I guess that just, you know, based on your podcast of being DNA surprises is that with now that we have DNA and it's just blowing everything out of the water of and you know, and to the, like we've seen this past weekend of a lot of people with a lot of grief and a lot of trauma of having to be later in life dealing with this kind of big bombshell. Um, but I also am very grateful for DNA because it helped me piece together a new family that we may or may not get along. I don't know yet. That remains to be seen, but it's just... I'm very grateful for DNA and that um, you just can't keep those secrets. They're just going to make us sick. And maybe that'll help people go, you know, think twice before they do it, spin a lie that lasts 50 years or however long mm -hmm. <laughs> they'll be found out. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. The truth is coming out um, in one way or another. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you said that, that you're grateful for DNA. I think we, um, in this community, we're so, so many people are so hurt by the information that DNA gives them that we forget that it is actually a really incredible, incredible technology and, and leap in science and a place that we're at in the world to be able to, yeah. to, to see DNA. And it's doing lots of wonderful things for people in lots of ways, um, health, you know, from a health perspective or a crime perspective or a, um, even a reunion perspective, right. It's connecting yeah. families as well, but we talk about it so much as this, um, ruiner, <laughs> it's this mm. thing that ruin, you know, kind of ruins has ruined our understanding of things. Well, you know, for me and my story, I didn't find, you know, just a bed of roses, mm -hmm. but, I don't even care. I found my freaking story. And to me, and there are a lot of people that can't say that. And my heart hurts for those people mm -hmm. that there's just for, other, you know, other reasons, they'll never be able to find out. So even though mine is not Happyville, I'm still, it was, it was just invaluable to me to find it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gratitude for the wholeness it brought you. Yeah. Right. Because it really wasn't ever about them. Right. It was really all about me <laughs> and me finding myself. Yeah. 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 That even makes me think like, oh, how lucky that you got to go on that journey. <laughs> even though maybe it started, start or it comes from, from some trauma. I thought, oh, if only everybody could go on a soul searching, soul searching adventure that we, we, people with DNA discovery sometimes get thrust, thrust, thrust into. Yeah. yeah. I like, I like that. I like shining a, a gratitude light perspective on it. Definitely. We don't do that enough. <laughs> we maybe don't do that enough. Well, I am so grateful that you could meet with me today and that you are flexible with their schedule. Um, 
it's like what time is it five where you are what time is it uh it is probably a little after five it's wow. five eighteen. wow wow guys <laughs> for me i mean we're in the middle of my day um for you it is about to be evening and that will never stop tripping me out um but thank you so much for being uh flexible but thank you for writing these books thank you for being a part of our community and uh i'm also so grateful that you found a way through a pseudonym and and what other whatever other tools you're using out there yeah. to, to still be a part of it to still come and be a part of it and share your gifts and navigate honoring honoring or respecting you know what your family needed needs um yes yeah i'm so glad that didn't stop you me too yeah me too right? <laughs> and i gave myself permission i'm so glad that you did that thank you for doing that um i'll give myself permission to say i didn't know that emma stevens was a pseudonym <laughs> I feel totally confused. <laughs> um, I, I, I am like trying to think. I'm like, maybe I did hear that at some point. I must have known that mm -hmm. at, um, at some point. But so much information is coming and going. And uh, but it makes me also just feel like you are so full of stories and life and layers. And this I just got to barely. We just got to barely meet each other right now. So I'm looking forward to spending more time with you. Yeah. And it was such a pleasure, Eve. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. And and am I wrong? Am I correct in thinking that you are facilitating at some higher earth hope and healing retreats? I am in July. Oh, in Texas. Uh, yes, in Texas. And they asked me to tell people, share with people how I wrote my books. That's all I can speak to is how mm -hmm. I wrote mine. Mm -hmm. And I'd be thrilled to tell pe people that, to share that with them. Oh, great. Oh, exciting. Okay. I will be there in Texas in July too, facilitating. You will? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So I know. So it's, that makes me feel so good knowing that we're going to get to spend some time together. Yes. I'll get to hear um, more, more of the foundations behind all these little bits that I got to hear today. Um, so yeah. So thank you so much. And it was great meeting you in Louisville. It was great meeting you yes. today. <laughs> um, and I will... Um, I'll, I'll be in touch with you about the episode. My friends, I really sincerely didn't know that Emma Stevens' name wasn't really Emma Stevens. Uh, I was so confused while we talked and I had to catch up to her telling me how much she's worked to live a double life. I didn't even know that was a big question when I was like, what's your family think? Um, anyway, I don't know if you could tell in the interview, but my head was spinning regardless of her name. I'm so grateful that I got to meet her in Louisville at Untangling Our Roots Summit, and we quickly scheduled uh, that session for the show, and I'm also thrilled that I get to see her in Texas in July. By the way, there are still spaces available in Texas. If you want to spend some real one-on-one -on -one time with me and Emma, or just me, or just Emma, or neither of us, no obligation, but you do want to start working on healing your DNA discovery head on over to Hyrith Hope and Healing, find out about the retreats. If you need help with that, contact me and I will send you in the right direction. Okay, different topic, taking a left turn here. I know that I've talked about this before, my friends. I know I have. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that it's repetitive, but the podcast needs reviews. We need them on the Apple podcast platform. I swear 
It will only take you like one minute and you don't even have to say anything amazing. In fact, if your honest review is that I totally suck, that's an okay review too. Write it. We need them. The reason we need them is so that Apple Podcasts continues to believe that I am a real podcast and it keeps me alive in their algorithm. And I'll be honest, it feels good when I see a little review pop up. Um, but really, but really, it's about, it's, about, <laughs> it's about the algorithm. It's about the survival of the show. I mean, I just want to survive. No pressure, just my survival. Speaking of survival, a few of you have been reaching out because you've heard me mention in a few episodes um, that I don't know if this is going to be the last season of this podcast or not. And that's still true. I don't know. But this last Sunday, I went out on a limb and I mentioned an idea on social media that I've been toying with. And I got so much positive response. People were so enthusiastic. So I'm going to share it with you. The idea is this. I have all these siblings, right? I've never met them. And they live all across the United States. There are six of them. Uh, And I think each one lives in a different state. And people with DNA discoveries live everywhere, right? So here's my plan or my dream. What I want to do is navigate a road trip with my family across the country to meet and interview all my siblings about my biological father so I can try and understand more about who he was, what that means to me. And in between each sibling, I would meet up with other DNA discovery people. And that would be my project next year. And it would be a podcast or a documentary or a book or something. Um, What do you guys think? Could I do this? Does anyone know how to organize something like this? I get very overwhelmed (laughs) with the whole idea. Um, But I was also so inspired by all the enthusiasm on social media this this weekend. So um, I'm going to try to keep like moving through the fear and see if we can make it happen. Everything's relative road trip, 2024. Let me know what you think. My socials are at Everything's Relative Podcast. My email is eve at everythingsrelativepodcast.com. And the website is, you've probably guessed it by now, everythingsrelativepodcast.com. There are lots of ways to get a hold of me. More importantly, there's lots of ways to find the resources that you may need for your DNA discovery. You can find the books that the of the authors that I featured here, including Emma Stevens, who I interviewed today. Um, and there's merch, and there's journal, and there's access to more episodes. I feel like I asked a lot of my audience today, so I'm going to go curl into a corner with my vulnerability hangover until the next episode, which is coming very, very soon. Probably as soon as next week. But until then, I hope your own spring garden is thriving with holy moly's. I hope you fed the cats and put out the recycling. I'm Eve Sturgis. Bye-bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Eve Sturgis and Kaylin Egan and edited by Joy Rumel. Logo designed by Ivy McNally and music is used with permission from Goodbye the Band. Eve is a licensed psychotherapist, but her podcast episodes are not therapy sessions. (laughs) 